disclaimer opinion of host and guest do not represent the view of rehabilitation strategies and human method this is general information which is not intended to replace your health hey welcome to proactive physio podcast season 2 episode number 4 today your host and guest is jamie bot in this podcast i am going to tell you about the sleeper stretch and its effectiveness in this podcast you will know about what is the driver of decreased range of movement if we get immediate change in range of motion with a sleeper stretch does that mean we should use this as a treatment can we use a strengthening movement to improve the range of motion as well as the visit my website proactivephysionology.com and you can find the free resources i wrote a blog as well as research review and its clinical implications so let's start with the today's podcast hi everybody today i am going to tell you about the sleeper stretch so one of the physio colleagues sent me an email and said do i still advocate a sleeper stretch so i am going to talk a little bit about the background and a little bit about what the evidence is around them in our routine clinical practice we see a lots of shoulder pain patients and many of times though uh, many of times they have a posterior shoulder tightness so i think if we look at the posterior shoulder tightness as an entity if you look like there is no doubt we can measure it very effectively or whether we use a internal rotation in abduction or whether we use cross adduction or even a low cross adduction stretch the question is why would we want to measure it there are quite a few studies showing the correlation between the posterior shoulder tightness a worsening in the tightness and the development of capsular dyskinesis there are also studies showing us that a gerd or a side to side difference of 15 and 20 degree or more which is ostensibly in this position so again at the side to side difference of 15 to 20 degree of range of motion which is greater that is also seems to correlate with weakness in the external rotators but also a relative change in a ratio between the external rotation and internal rotation in throwing athlete it is definitely seems to correlate highly with loss of eccentric external rotation strength issue and it is definitely seems to have to show us something a different thing interestingly there is some work done by oliver et al and a couple of other authors that have also looked at the correlation with developing a positive gerd sign in relation to lower quadrant injury some studies also did the predictive value in cricket of having a positive gerd that is also a predictor for a non contact lower quadrant injury so i would seems that posterior shoulder tightness does tell us a something a new things but what actually does it tell us is it simply the issue in terms of we need to address the tightness or just a window to something else now if we look at the evidence about the posterior shoulder tightness the bottom line is it has come from the baseball pitchers or the overhead athlete and those who are working overhead like from the indian scenario the carpenters the painters there is a there is no doubt that those who have a significant side to side difference in the rotation range of motion they are four times greater risk of developing the shoulder pain and if we look 
from the athletic population they are more uh, developing the shoulder pain in the subsequent season now that sounds pretty convincing and it is similar figure for developing elbow injury but i think we have to be very honest those studies come from some very respected research such as kevin wick and linter et al but the actually the recent systematic review by the keller et al in 2018 actually the author failed to show any true causation of having the posterior shoulder tightness and predicting the overhead injury that lacks statistical significance so it is a little bit like an external rotation weakness if you have a posterior shoulder tightness and you have a sudden increase in the load in terms of training volume and the frequency it does seem that you are at risk at a higher level for the shoulder injury again in a keller et al the systematic review they actually incorporated over 2000 overhead athletes and it was unable to show any true causation of the posterior shoulder tightness so i think that's more important to consider it this paper there is a lots of things looking at what is the best stretch and what gives you the most effective stretch but one of the issue is a lot of these studies done in a normal population without shoulder pain and if you listen to the kevin and phil mcclure who are a great american researchers who have looked a lot of posterior shoulder tightness then one would advocate that the cross adduction stretch is being the most effective but on the other side it would advocate the sleeper stretch is the most effective however the issue is when we see the increase in the range of motion when people stretch over a 4 to 6 weeks period of time three stretch twice a day for the couple of weeks there is a increase between the 3 to 7 degree of range of motion which are really a very tiny increase in the range of motion again we do not know if that is clinically significant so we kind of need more work done in a pathological population to understand the mechanism of release posterior shoulder tightness now there is no doubt it continues to be suggested as a part of maintenance and a common features of intervention for the shoulder pain there has been a couple of studies that have actually looked at the prevalence of posterior shoulder tightness even in our normal shoulder pain population and a non sporting population we have to try and understand what is driving this shoulder tightness interestingly if you look at some studies on a baseball pitchers or on a swimmers if you measured that gerd before a training session and the measured after the training session there is an immediate loss of range of motion after the training session interestingly in that study this uh, this flexibility only last not more than 24 hours if you do an intervention and if you get them moving do some thoracic rotation a general kind of warm up drill you can actually resolve that restriction almost immediately from the posterior shoulder so we need to start questioning what it is that's driving the posterior shoulder stiffness again there is no doubt that much of emphasis on a sleeper stretch and cross adduction stretch has really come from the belief that essentially that posterior shoulder tightness is very much related to the capsular changes so it was believed that because of the massive eccentric load on the shoulder at the end of throwing the tensile load on the shoulder that we have got hyperplasia we got fibrosis and true changes within the capsular tissue itself now that kind of makes a sense a lot there is also a studies that show if you do sequential imaging of endurance swimmer 
or a people who lift very heavy weight in the gym. We will see some gradual thickening of the posterior bursa and some reactive capsular change in response to that. The problem is we don't know at what, at what point they become pathological and it varies massively between different patients group. So we can see this feature. Now again, the question arises: what does it mean to us clinically? Those who have a posterior shoulder tightness. There is no doubt that we see lots of studies that talk about the role of manual therapy of using eyes, brain reading, muscle energy technique, and lots of different things are available in our physiotherapy toolbox. To effect an immediate change in the GERD or the cross adduction stretch that is a quite effective way. There is actually a study recently published by the Romano et al. They showed that they did the SI joint stretch and it was a very effective way in some overhead athlete to improve their internal range of motion. This is also quite uh, surprising for me also how the SI joint stretch is improve the glenohumeral joint. But still, uh, we have to accept it right now. But if we are getting immediate changes, then what are we influencing for the posterior shoulder tightness? There are another studies showing that according to the Toran et al. They showed that adding the stretching to our usual treatment for the subacromial pain in the normal population. It may also have some benefit in their outcomes also. And there is also a massive number of studies are available for the sleeper stretch those who are suffering for the subacromial pain. So I guess what we have to ask ourselves, there is some evidence that is a feature of people with a shoulder pain. There is definitely evidence that if you have, you may have a slightly increase a risk of developing shoulder pain or if you want to throw a ball or if you want to um, play an overhead sport, there is also no doubt that you need to add the intervention to change your GERD. I am not sure we can say that stretching is causing that but definitely if there is an improvement over a period of time that also seems to correlate with an improvement in the symptom again why we do stretching so the first thing is that if we look at the posterior capsule particularly there are studies from the arthroscopic point of view they looked at the capsule of the people with the positive GERD sign but they fail to demonstrate any evidence of a capsular fibrosis in the majority of that cohort study. The only people that they were able to demonstrate any true capsular change were a small number of group of elite throwers at the very end of their throwing career. So we lack of an evidence base for the true capsular fibrosis in that posterior inferior aspect of the capsule. And clearly that is what we are stretching when we are up here and more that pure posteromedial part of that posterior capsule in this position. Again, studies fail to demonstrate any true fibrosis in that group also. Now the other thing is that a people report these immediate changes when they do any sort of intervention to the posterior shoulder. And of course, that is very satisfying. But that tells us it is not driven by the capsule itself. There is absolutely no doubt if we have a true capsular hyperplasia, a true capsular fibrosis and we may see with the true frozen shoulder patient a manual therapy and 
actually the stretches our patient do actually not going to have an effectiveness so if you have thrown from a very young age we know because of the torsional load on your humerus and actually on the growth plate that you can actually get retroversion and it doesn't resolve as you get older there are a couple of questions comes here what is the effect of that for the retroversion of the humeral head in the in the throwing athlete well it will shift your total range of rotational range so if you had somebody that presented to you who has a thrower that had a reduction side to side range of motion it would be absolutely essential to look at the total range of rotational movement and see whether or not the total arc was comparable side to side or whether that deficit actually was maintained when you compared these two range of motion and that is very important to consider it now clearly if somebody got a retroversion we can't change it because it's a structural change so how do we know it's adaptational well if you follow a people of over a period of time whether it's elite tennis player or a throwers or some cricket players we know that they do develop a reduction in their internal range of range of motion over a time as i said it is very important to be clear whether or not that's a bony adaptation if they have done their sports from a very young age because in that case we obviously can't do anything about it as i said it's a structural change we can't change the bony anatomy it's more a muscle stiffness problem in terms of true capsular change we just don't know at what point it becomes the pathological but what is interesting in that when we look at the posterior shoulder tightness the threshold for when it potentially causes the problem that varies from sports to sports there is a general acceptance that side to side difference of between 15 and 20 degree does increase your risk of developing a shoulder injury however we don't know what happens if you do an intervention for that now what is the driver if we do all those intervention like muscle energy technique manual therapy as i know from my uh, practice itself i have a video where i show the mobilization cervical spine doing some gentle uh, release technique and doing some recruitment of the cuff throughout the range of motion all those this intervention improve the somebody's very positive gods three different patients all has a positive gods and all significant improvement this is the basically of the muscles issue problem there are theories what drives the muscle stiffness remember if muscles are fatigued they will rest in their shortened position so it could potentially be the posterior cuff is fatigued and therefore resting in its shortened position a recent editorial viewpoint by kevin hall and john bostard suggested that it may be a protective mechanism so the muscle stiffness was protective in the people with a shoulder pain as a result of glenohumeral joint capsule tightness but if we are honest we don't know really but we do know that it is a muscle stiffness issue because fundamentally it changes so quickly with any of our intervention again another question does that mean we shouldn't be stretching yes there is a doubt a lot of patient like stretching it gives that immense feeling where they are st- stiff in the joint and we do see some immediate changes after giving the gentle posterior capsule stretch however if uh, that muscle stiffness is driven by a muscles that's a tired or a muscles that aren't strong enough to do their job correctly then arguably we will get better value from actually reeducating the muscles themselves 
and this is where it's confusing when we try to ex extrapolate stuff from the literature. I am not telling you not to do a sleeper stretch. It does not figure as part of my rehabilitation. But that is because if I have got somebody who got the muscle stiffness driven that glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, I just get their cuff activate and the scapular muscles activation through all the range and I will change that restriction. Studies that show doing the thoracic rotation and the upper limb movement have a similar effect. Probably related to the fact that we know if we initiate our shoulder exercise with the thoracic rotation, we get better a local recruitment. Some school of thoughts are using the GERD as a measurement of whether or not athlete have a recovered for return to play. However, after the training session and before the training session, they get the baseline for the GERD. If they find out that that GERD doesn't change at all, they give the label the athlete is still fatigued and they need to a little bit more recovery time. So it would seem that the GERD in terms of muscle stiffness is useful objective measure. Certainly for me, if I have got an athlete going back to doing the training session, I will do a quick session on the pitch and remember it has been shown to correlate highly with glenohumeral external rotation weakness. However, that weakness could just be driven because the muscles fatigue and if we get it doing its job again, we seem to be get quick recovery. So as a measure of your exercise prescription and its efficacy, it definitely seems to have a role and it also seems to be a useful measure of whether or not the rotator cuff is doing its job correctly. However, what I would say to you, if it is a muscle stiffness issue, we can get far better value from targeting the muscle system and actually re-educating them to make them job correctly. Now when it comes to the true capsular restriction, this is a really interesting one because we look at the frozen shoulder. We do have some studies that shows if the patients do sustained stretching, particularly with the addition of a damp heat, then over a period of 8 to 10 weeks, as long as they do it for 4 or 5 days, minimum of 2 to 3 repetition, they may get some benefit. But in patients that we are trying to target a part of the capsule more specifically. So let's say it is a posterior inferior capsule, the cross adduction stretch that, that helps to release the posterior capsule. One thing that seems to be giving us a little bit more promising is the concept of eccentric exercise. We recognize that trying to deform the capsular tissue is not without its flaws because simply we don't have enough force to stretch the capsule. It is very difficult for patient to, to affect and it's require a lot of stretching, a lot of sustain to actually get any change for the capsular restriction. We don't have a massive evidence for an eccentric in the upper quadrant at the moment. But there is some emerging evidence that is really being translated from the lower quadrant suggesting that we can get fibral lengthening or a sarcomogenesis as a response to heavy load eccentric work. So if you can imagine, if I got somebody lying down, I usually do this with a band attached around their feet, the knee band up, the arm supported. So I am really targeting that posterior cuff and essentially I am going to take them into the external rotation. Straight my leg out. So now I have got maximum load and then control that eccentric phase to get a lengthening effect 
at the back of the shoulder joint. It's the simplest way. Tie up the band over the ankle joint and ask the patient to extend the knee. Along with that, the person has to maintain the abduction 90 degree along with the 90 degree of elbow flexion. So it's resemble the 90-90 degree of abduction external rotation position. Now the study that I have looked at in the lower quadrant actually showed that they only need to do that three times a week using the dosage of three sets of six or three sets of eight repetition, which is not a huge amount of repetition. But in my clinical practice, I tend to get them to do every day and they will generally start to see a significant change within about four to five weeks. So when doing some initiation work with this patient, do some respond to internal rotation and other external rotation despite having a glenohumeral internal rotation deficit. I think because what we see in any of this range of motion restriction are ostensibly unless we have got somebody with a history of let's say uh, elite athlete at the end of their career who had surgery, frozen shoulder, trauma, stiffness that we see in generally the muscles mediator posterior capsule tightness. What we know is essentially I could treat a somebody's neck, a somebody's glenohumeral joint, do muscle energy technique, dry needling. However, I am not advocating you should do any of those things. But essentially, that all share the same thing as they modulate the muscle stiffness. What I would say is, let's base what we understand from the current literature, which is generally the posterior cuff just needs to get doing its job. And we may need to make sure that shoulder has the capacity to do what the somebody can do in their functional activity. If we just get that system working differently and remind the cuff has to do its job correctly, then ostensibly we resolve a lot of this stiffness issue almost immediately. Kuhl Satal has done a lovely study recently showing that just doing the external rotation through a range with a loop of TheraBand through the several range of motion, which is a very nice way of just getting the scapula and the rotator cuff muscles engaged in a way that replicates the people without the shoulder pain. If I do that as an intervention in my clinic, it is very rare. That doesn't have a significant improvement on that internal rotation deficit. If the patient sees that the joint is stiff, you can do an intervention regarding the stretching and they feel lots better. Of course, it is a great way to get them on a board. But for me, if I can do something active, that is about them getting their muscle system working in a different way to get that change. That is a very empowering that they can do for themselves and it becomes a very useful measure for me of the effectiveness of my exercise prescription. I think we do is about modulating the muscle stiffness. I'm not sure if modulating is a bad word for these days. but. Bottom line is, if we give the shoulder sensory input, we even use a visual cues and auditory cues. We do something, we put our hands on, do any of the intervention we have talked about. All these things seems to modulate the muscle stiffness. Probably in terms of giving the patients confidence, in terms of challenging their movements and expectation, there are lots of potential mechanism. But for me, the reason I, I ostensibly target the posterior cuff in majority of my patient is purely because I think that is where the evidence base support the majority of the deficits are in terms of 
post fracture patients if i had a somebody who had a post fracture with secondary capsular stiffness a true capsular fibrosis which is likely given the trauma involved or a mechanism or energy involved then i would be looking for a release of capsule stretching may have a role but i would actually be looking more to those eccentric type of exercise as i explained you earlier that helps a lot better if we are honest the threshold for pathology is different in a different population but certainly seems to have some relevance in a monitoring also what we need to look at i think is whether actually intervention that are designed to address the fatigue rather than just looking at the addressing the impact of that fatigue in terms of stiffness now again another question what does god tells you well if it changes when you do anything and it changes significantly it is telling you just a muscle stiffness not a true capsular component if somebody has a history of trauma or a surgery a long long standing of shoulder pain and a true frozen shoulder it may truly be capsular and then you might want to look at a slightly different point of view and a slight different intervention because stretching is probably going to take your patient at least 8 weeks before they start to see any significant difference in their shoulder which is based on the current evidence there is a couple of great resources are available a lovely point of view from the journal of orthopedic sports and physical therapy by kevin hall and john bostard which is a lovely summary of some of the current thinking around this from my point of view there is no doubt i will often look at it as a measure as i said with my general population as well as athletic it is useful measure for effectiveness of my exercise prescription but also how they are coping in terms of endurance and as i say in terms of my normal population again it's potentially a nice measure of the effectiveness of my exercise prescription but i don't use it as frequently in that particular group because i don't expect them to have a true capsule driver to their stiffness so thank you so much for those who have uh, posted questions and i really hope you found the content helpful see you again very soon bye for now be sure to visit my website proactivephysionology.com if you want to give us a feedback you can write an email to us and you can also refer website to a friend in the form of a feedback we have started a membership program so that you can find the information under the membership section so stay tuned with the next podcast have a nice day see you